Again, praise the Lord, church. It's indeed a wonderful privilege where God has blessed me, where I can um, be his mouthpiece this morning. I am truly humbled at the opportunity. I always count myself um, humbled because God could have chosen to call upon anyone you know, to deliver his message. It's just that when he calls, someone has to answer. Amen? Amen. Because if you don't, he'll just choose somebody else. Praise the Lord. I just want to greet everyone in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, our soon coming King, the one who has allowed us to be in his house this morning. Because he has blessed us with life. Amen. And in spite of all the struggles that we have, in spite of the challenges that we face whenever we kind of leave our homes and we go about our several duties, at the end of the day, I think we all can testify that God is good. Amen. When we hear of the, the tragedies that are happening, when we hear about young lives being cut short because of injustice or because of ignorance, because of pride, because of prejudices. And we kind of look at our own lives and we say, Lord, how is it that you have brought me through these things? We can all testify that God is good. And at the end of the day, we, can we, we come to the conclusion that, you know what, God has a plan for my life. And it's up to each and every one of us to find out what that is. Amen. And so today I want to talk to you out of a sermon I, I, I called for king and kingdom. For king and kingdom. Pray with me. My God and my Father, I count it a privilege, Lord, to stand before your people, to speak to them the words that you have placed upon my heart. Lord, I want to thank you that even throughout the hours of the, the week, you gave me the thoughts, you put it all together, and now is the time to deliver. Lord, hide me behind the cross and let you be the one that is heard and not me. This acts in Jesus' name. Amen. I chose the text out of 2 Timothy because for several weeks when the sermons was preached, I, I found that the theme was about um, either Christian warfare or being a soldier or, you know, arming oneself, you know, to face the battles. Or as we're studying in the book of Job, we're seeing the great controversy played out. And so... So when it was asked of me to give a sermon, I was like, well, Lord, I need something. And not long upon saying that, the Lord just gave me these words and he gave me these thoughts. And I chose out the book, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And it was also in line with um, some something I shared with um, a group of us when we had our prayer, praise, and fasting service a few weeks ago. It was out of the same text, just reminding the church that we are in a battle each and every day. And, and as we are in a battle, we are soldiers in the battle. And we are called to be soldiers in the battle, but we are called to be good soldiers, not just soldiers, but good soldiers. And we all know what a good soldier is like. They're honorable. They're committed. They're brave. They're trained. Amen? They're good soldiers. They, they see the fight and they go into the fight rather than run away from the fight. And so we are called to be good soldiers because there is a fight. It's a fight for the honor of God. And we are called to defend that honor. Amen? But rather than speaking from that text, 
I want to encourage you using a familiar story from 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. We know it well. It's the story of David and Goliath. But I don't want to focus on the battle. I want to focus on the character of David. Just want to share a little background with you concerning that story. The end of the judges had happened. And Samuel was the last of the judges. And, and as he was getting old, he, he had his two sons you know, to be judges. He appointed them to be judges. But in those appointments, the people were not very happy with, with his sons. They came to him and they tell him, hey, Samuel, you know, um, you are old and your sons don't walk in your ways. Make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Make us a king to be judged like all the nations. Hmm. For all these years when they were having the judges, there was only one king, and it was God. Everybody else was either a judge, a prince, etc. But now the people are saying, look, we want a king this time. And so Samuel, having heard the people, he brings it to God, and, and God says, Samuel, look, just, just hearken to the people. Don't take it personally. Understand that they are not rejecting you. They are rejecting me as king. They are not rejecting you. They are rejecting me as king. Samuel, don't take it personally. Even after everything that God tell them, this is what's going to be demanded of you when you have a king. Your sons, your daughters are going to be called to, to serve. Your lands are going to be taken from you. Your, your, your husbands can, can be taken as slaves to work. Even after all of this, the people still said, no, give us a king. So Samuel is tasked with finding a king. And, and the first one that is appointed is Saul, a Benjamite. And what the scripture says of Saul, that he was a handsome man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulder to where and upward, he was taller than any of the people. Sounds familiar? <laughs> if y'all missed that one, y'all will get it later. But uh, in spite of his good looks, his charm, his stature, Saul was eventually rejected from being king because he disobeyed God. Not once, but twice, and on, on a number of other occasions. And not just that he disobeyed, but it, instead of taking upon the, the responsibility of saying, okay, yes, Lord, I did it. It was my fault. No, he passed the blame onto the, the people and said, oh, it was the people. Whenever you are set up to be in authority or position, you can't pass blame to those subordinate. Amen? You must shoulder the responsibility. Amen? And cover them. Amen? But no, that's not what Saul did. So the Lord says, you know what, Samuel? I've rejected Saul from being king. I will choose me another man. After my own heart. And that man was David. So David comes into the picture. And he's a young man. Probably in his teens. And, and he's out tending his, you know, his father's sheep. You know. And before he's anointed. Samuel comes to Jesse. And, you know, and, and he's asked to. Hey let me see your sons. And. and they're lining up one after the other. And Samuel himself is looking at each one, and he said, perhaps it's this one, of course, because they're probably all, almost in the same criteria as Saul. They're good-looking, handsome, and probably of you know, noble character, perhaps. No, but God says, no, not that one. No, not that one. 
Because man may look on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And so he had saw in David a man after his own heart. So when all of the sons were there, uh, Samuel said, is there not one more? Is there not another? And, and Jesse probably thinking that he probably, you know, David shouldn't be among them. But he said, yeah, there is this last one. He's tending the sheep. And then Samuel said, go get him. And he comes and God says, that's the one. And he's chosen, and right there David is anointed. But, of course, Samuel is still on the throne, so David can't yet have the throne until Samuel, I mean Saul, is gone. So in the meantime, while Saul is still reigning, they're having a lot of battles with the surrounding nations, and one of those nations was the Philistine. And on one day, the Philistine comes and they bring their champion on the scene. His name is Goliath. And he comes out and he makes his case for, for being who he is. And he says, bring me a man that I may fight. And if I win, you are going to be my slave, our slaves. You're going to serve us. But if your man should win, then we will be your servants. So while this is all happening, David is taking care of his father's sheep. Until one day, David's father says, all right, David, um, here, take this, take, the, take a word to your brothers. Here's a meal to take for them. And, and he goes out to, to bring his father's to fulfill his father's instructions. And on the way he does so, and, you know, he leaves the sheep with someone else while he goes and sees the battle. We, we know the story. And David hears about what the claim that Goliath is making, and he's wondering, well, one, what's going to be given to the man that, you know, that wins? Also, why hasn't anyone taken up the challenge? Are we not the army of the living God? Why are we fearing this uncircumcised, that's to use David's word, not mine. <laughs> Why are we being afraid of this uncircumcised person? You know, that's the question for each and every one of us every day. Do we understand that in this fight, this great controversy that is happening, that there is one that is always defying God? And we as a soldier need to take up the charge and says, I will go and fight because he is defying my God. Do we understand that's what we are called to do? Not just to come in the church and, and have service and, and so on. No, we are in a fight every day. And we are soldiers in that fight. And a soldier, if I'm, Gus, help me out if I'm, if I'm not, if not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken. But a soldier is never, never stops being a soldier until he goes to his grave. In other words, we are to never stop fighting until that fateful day when God comes. Amen? And seals the victory. Amen? Yes, we're going to have challenges. Yes, we're going to have battles. Yes, we're going to have our, you know, differences. You know, yes, we're going to face, you know, those things that, you know, um, have our character in question. But even in spite of that, there's, there's the greater fight to fight, and that is for the cause of Christ. And so, when, so David, he says, look, all right, if no one is going to do anything, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to fight him. Of course, you know, they all say, look, you're not a man of war. Why? 
David just simply said, look, you know, let me just go out and fight him. Saul says, all right, go ahead, God be with you. So David goes out and he takes his you know, shepherd's bag, he takes out, he takes five smooth stones, goes out and he faces Goliath. Goliath gives his last charge and David answers, well, you come to me with sword and spear, etc., etc., but I come to you in the name of the living God against whom you defy. We know the rest of the story. He takes out a sling, struck the giant in the forehead. He drops and he kills him. And so David is victorious. We know the rest of the story. But I want to bring back your attention to the fact that David took up five stones. We, we know what the Bible says. Yes, perhaps, and I've heard some good sermons that perhaps he took up five stones because there were four other giants left. <laughs> so he had four others to take care of. But I don't want to draw your attention to that. I want to draw your attention to the fact that he took up five stones. And I want to let you know um, what the Spirit shared with me those five stones would be. The first stone will represent faith. Faith. We know what the Bible says, for without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is God and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So where did this faith come from? Well, in 1 Samuel, let's turn to 1 Samuel and just follow me, you know, in the scriptures. I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures this, evening, this morning. 1 Samuel 17 in verse 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and take away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Notice that David didn't say what will be done if, if he kills him or wounds him. No, or defeats him. No, what would be done if he kills that man? David, being a, a son of, of Jesse of the tribe of Benjamin, they have heard about the God of Israel. Traditions, oral traditions have been passed down from generation to generation. So they heard about the God that delivered the Israelites from the army of Pharaoh that allowed them to cross over to the Red Sea into the promised land, that gave them the inheritance that he promised to their father Abraham. So his faith was already built up from those stories and even from his own experiences. What faith does is faith lets you see beyond your circumstance towards the desired goal and moves you to action. Faith moves you to action. See, oftentimes when we define faith, we define it in terms of what we know or in some type of knowledge. But faith, always in scripture, has always been about action. Faith without works is what? Dead. If we focus on self and we act, we may succumb to pride, thinking that it's all about me, it's all about what I'm able to do. But if we focus on God, then we have nothing of which to boast and we find the strength and the grace to push forward. Faith is not in systems. Faith is not in things. Faith is in God. Jesus himself said, have faith in God in Mark, in Mark 11, 22. Psalm 27 says this. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name 
of the Lord our God. God says this about himself and about his word. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, there but water the earth and making it to bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing to which I sent it. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. Has God given you a word? You can stand on it. Amen? You can stand on the word of God. His word does not fail, never fails. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. For the church stands on a firm foundation, and that foundation is on Christ, the rock. The second stone is for courage. The second stone is for courage. Courage is defined as the quality of mind that enables a person to face difficulty, danger, pain, etc. without fear, bravery. And courage is not necessarily the absence of fear, but how one's responds in the face of fear. Let's look at David. Let's look, start at verse 32. This is, what David, uh, it, this is what it says. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Hmm. His, you know, his desire to fight is called into question. But, but what does Paul says to the youth? He said, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example unto the believers. Amen. In words, in charity, amen? Don't let your youth be despised, but to be an example. Following on, verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Courage. Having faced the challenge of the lion and the bear from his experiences before, David found the courage to face Goliath as well. Because he found that there was a greater challenge in where God's name is defied versus just a mere lamb that he was taking care of. Even so, we must find a greater cause when it comes to the things of God than our own affairs. I'm not saying we cannot take care of our business. No, yes, we are told to. But the things of God will take precedence over everything else. Courage, again, like I said, is not the absence of fear, but what ones demonstrate in the face of fear. The soldier that will go out and help a wounded, even when live ammunition is flying by. You know, that, that skinny, crawny, scrawny kid from, you know, the, the second grade that faces the class bully. 
courage. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from the right or to the left, that you, and you will have good success. That's Joshua 1, 5 through 7. This is what David says, For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. For who is God but the Lord? And who is Iraq except our God? This God is my strong refuge and has made me my way blameless. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. Courage. If you need it to face your fears, your challenges, you can find it in God. He has trained my hands for war so that I'm able to bend a bow of bronze. David's next stone is confidence. It's confidence. Confidence is defined as full trust, belief in the powers, trustworthiness, or reliability, reliability of a person or a thing. But in this case, we know that it's in God. Philippians 3, 3-8 says this, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul saying, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has more confidence than I do, let me tell you, I've been circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, similar to David and Saul, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisees, as to zeal, a pecute, sorry, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But this is what he said. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ, I indeed, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is from the ESV version. Notice Paul said, look, whatever confidence I had in the flesh and whatever I gained as a result of it, I counted as nothing versus the surpassing glory that is in Christ. That is what I wanted to gain. And that was worth more to me than anything else I've accomplished in this life, in the flesh. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. Whatever it is that we are looking to for our victory outside of Christ, it will not make you victorious in the day of battle. Our victory is only in Christ. Here's also another scripture. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. David's confidence was not in his ability to defeat the lion and the bear, but it was in the Lord that gave him the victory over them. Those served as a reminder that if God can save me from the mouth of the lion and the bear, who came to devour the sheep, 
then this uncircumcised Philistine will end up the same way, defeated. There is no better teacher in life than experience. Let's look at verse 38, and this is what it says. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of, of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, those things that were familiar to him, and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. David said, well, I have not tested these things, so I cannot put my trust in them. But I have tested God. I can put my trust in him. And those things that he has given me, I can put my trust in them. That staff, that sling, that stone, amen, based on his experience that he had with the the lion and the bear, that if God can deliver him out of those, he certainly can deliver him out of the hand of the uncircumcised Philistine. Sometimes we look at others and we wonder how they did it. How, how is it that you came through this or that? You know, and in doing so, we sometimes aspire to be like them. You know, and, and it's, and for them, you know, that's their armor. That's their clothing. That's their wardrobe. And, it, and that's what it took them to get there. But we have to prove our own. Amen? We have to prove our own. We, they may give us counsel. They may share their strategies on how they got successful. But unless we go out there and give it a try for ourselves, we'll only set up ourselves for failure. It's not that we are going to do something wrong. It's not that we are still, but we are still developing. There's still room for growth. And so the success will eventually come. Our experiences are our own experiences. They are unique to us. God brought us through them for a reason. I always believe that there is no accident with God. There are no coincidences. If I believe that God is sovereign, then everything that he allows me to come to, there is a greater purpose in it than what I can see at the beginning. And I must have that strength, that trust, and that confidence that whatever it is, God has a purpose for me in that situation. Be it uh, the failure of my health, be it an accident, whatever it is, God has a purpose. The Bible tells us that we must put on Christ. And what does that exactly mean, to, to put on Christ? And, and so I, I did a little digging, and, and you know the scripture is there, but I found an article that was written by a gentleman who was, was writing, and he, he's always writing for, you know, for his church. And one of the articles that he, he wrote was entitled, what does it mean to be clothed in Christ? What does it mean to be clothed in Christ? This is what he shared. You can tell a lot about people from the clothes they wear. The clothes that we choose to wear often reflects our status, our values, and even our priorities. You know, at the Hollywood red carpet, even reporters often ask actors and actresses, who are you wearing? To find out which designer clothes or a designer created the clothes that they were wearing. In ancient, the ancient world, clothing had a similar significance. It could reflect a person's socioeconomic status, their mood, or even their character. And so in the New Testament, the clothing imagery was used to describe three different things, but closely related aspects of our, of our relationship with God. The first, it emphasized our union with Christ. That is, 
what happens at our conversion. In Galatians 3, 26 and 27, Paul's write this. In Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. Therefore, everyone who has committed their life to Christ by faith has the status of putting on Christ. Second, he says, the clothing imagery vividly portrays the transformation that results from our relationship with Christ. In Romans 13, 13. And third, he says, the clothing imagery describes the transformation of our bodies that will take place when we are resurrected from the dead. Paul explains this. This perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal must put on immortality. So thus, in summary, he said, every believer that put on Christ by virtue of trusting in him, who Jesus is and what he has done for us, yet we are also called to put on the character qualities and virtues that reflect our identity as children of God. The fourth stone is commitment. The fourth stone is commitment. Every one of us has a cause, be it selfish or noble. Every soldier has a cause, be it selfish or noble, even when they were being enlisted. But as a soldier of the army of the living God, the cause that transcends or the one from which all other causes are birthed should be to please the one who enlisted him, according to Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. We are not here to please each other, but only God. Amen? When we walk through the church doors, sometimes we want to play judge and jury. Sometimes we want to say we want to lay out the standards of faith. We want to lay out the standards of righteousness. That is not our place. That's for God to do. What we are to do, what we are to do is please God. And in pleasing God, then all of those other things will align themselves with, with, with how we please God. The transformation of our hearts, the transformation of our character. When all of this is happening to everyone, then there is not going to be any need for anyone to point out any flaws in anyone. Because the Spirit would have already done so. Amen? This is what it says in verse 37. Whoever, um, Matthew 10, 37 through 39, Jesus says this. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Notice that Christ says, whoever loves daughter or mother more than me. Not that we can't love each other, but to put each other, anyone above Christ. Christ says, no, you are not worthy. He also says this in Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And of course, he tells his experience about when the lion and the bear came. And I went after him, I struck him and I delivered him out of his mouth. And if he arose against him, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. David was always committed, if you would notice. When it was the sheep, he was focused on the sheep. When it was his brothers that he was to bring the message, he was focused on that. But when he saw that it, 
Goliath came on the scene and defied the armies of God, everything else took a back seat. God's cause became his cause. He wasn't the most qualified among them, but in fact, he wasn't even qualified to fight. But in the eyes of his, in, and so it was in the eyes of his brothers and, and the rest of those in the army. But I've heard it said that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And even though that they, sorry, even from the beginning when God rejected Saul, he said, I will choose me a man after my own heart. And that man was David. Note David's response to his brother's rebuke in verses 28 and 30. He says, is there not a cause? His brother says, look, I know you just came here to take a look at the battle, to go back and give dad a report. In fact, shouldn't you be taking care of the sheep? In fact, who is taking care of the sheep? Because remember, David left the sheep with the other young men. But let me put it in plainer speech, if I would. David was like saying, you're worried about me showing up at the battle when you should be worrying about Goliath? I'm not the enemy. He is. And what are you going to do about it? And so the question is for us. Whenever people has questioned, you know, your calling in the faith or whenever anyone has questioned your relationship to Jesus Christ, why did you choose to become a Christian? Next time, ask them the same question that David asked. What are you doing about it? <laughs> Is there not a cause? So it brings me to David's fifth stone. His fifth stone. It's the name of God. It's the name of God. Verse 40. Then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's bag. And so the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. For he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine says to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beast of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will struck you and take, off, take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistine to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That there is a God in Israel. The Bible also tells us that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. We know what the Bible says and how the Bible looks at names. It it usually points towards the character of the person that is named. When Goliath defied the army of Israel, he was also defying the character of God. David saw this as an occasion to defend God's character. We are called to do the same. God gave us his name when he called us to be soldiers, to be children, in fact, his children, by the spirit of adoption. And in giving us his name, he gave us full rights and privileges into all things God. It's like having an all-access pass to Disney just by saying the name Walt Disney. 
It's the same thing. Amen? But John says this, because, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who was born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but of God. So having the name of God, we should defend his character. When the accuser of the brethren comes, he is coming to defy God, and he must be withstood. When we fight against each other, we are not fighting against the enemy. We are joining his ranks. We are called to please the one who enlisted us, and that is Jesus Christ. So will you not fight for the king and his kingdom? Will you not fight and be committed to defending the character of God? The same character that is in his son and is also in us? Will you not go out in his name? For there is no other name like the name of the Lord God. In his name is power. In his name is strength. In his name is deliverance. In his name is healing. In his name is salvation. In his name is transformation. In his name is power. It is hope. Whatever you need, it's in the name of the Lord God. And so, in the name of the king and his kingdom, I will stand and I will fight. How about you? And so at this time, I would like to make an appeal today. Because I believe, and this appeal is for those that has not given their life to Christ. Those who have not chosen him as his personal Lord and Savior. Those who have not surrendered their life to him. Because understand you are dealing with a God of war. The Bible says that God is angry with the wicked every day. But nevertheless, he is saying, why would you die? Why would you die, O son of man? Why don't you turn to him and make him your Lord and master today? He is calling you to enlist in his army. He is calling you to put down your, your sword and your javelin and your spears of rebellion and surrender this cold heart of yours. And take up the heart of flesh that he's giving you. The Bible says that if you will hear his voice. Harden not your heart. Today. Not tomorrow. Not next week. But tomorrow is not guaranteed to you. So if you're hearing his voice today. Come to him. He's a good father to you. He wants to be your father. Will you not come to him? If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. He's calling you to enlist in his army to this morning. Will you not come? Will you not come? All right. My second appeal is for those of us we have been in this fight a long time. And we have grown weary for the fight. But God gives us new strength to keep on fighting. The Bible tells us that his mercies are new every morning. With those new mercies comes a fresh a fresh unctioning of grace to help us to continue the fight so that we will not grow weary. So if you are one, you have been in the army, you've been fighting a long time, and you want renewed strength, this is appeal for, is for you. If you will, come on up. Come on up. 
Let the Lord renew you for the fight that is ahead. Let he strengthen your resolve against the, the enemy that is defying his name. Will you not come? Will you not come? Praise the Lord. The song said he's a good, good father. That's who he is. And that we are loved by him. That's who we are. He loves us. He loves us so much that he will not leave us in our own condition. But he will continue to transform us and renew us with his spirit. Amen. All right. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we want to thank you for calling us to be good soldiers, enlisting us in your in your army. We thank you, Father God, for being a good good father who loves us. And you have made us your children. Father, this morning I pray for those who are standing before you. Those who have been in the fight a long time. And may have grown weary from the fight. Father, I'm asking for renewed strength on their behalf. Renewed vigor. Renewed resolve, God. As they continue to stand against the accuser of the brethren who defies you day and night. Father, I pray for also for those who decided not to come, but they still were in, has been in the fight a long time. I pray for them as well, Lord. I pray for this entire church that you will continue to strengthen us, Father God, that you will continue to create in us a clean heart, and renew a right spirit. Father, that we will continue to stand for you, our king and his kingdom. Be with us, Father. I want to thank you for having used me to, to speak to your people. And I pray, dear Father, that the words will be an encouragement to them, that for the cause of Christ, that we will live our lives until we see you coming in the cloud of glory to receive us into your everlasting kingdom. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.